0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Managing Editor of Sports Travel, and our guest today is Bob Dunlop, Senior Director of Events for U.S. Figure Skating. But before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 23 will be held in the Palm Beaches, Florida, from October 2nd through the 5th, 2023. The conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic SportsLink Program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium at the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything planned at Teams, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. The U.S. Figure Skating National Championships was first held in 1914 in New Haven, Connecticut, and has been the spot for fans to see the best in the history of the sport. From Dick Button and Scott Hamilton to Brian Boitano and Nathan Chen on the men's side to women's sports icons such as Peggy Fleming, Dorothy Hamill, Christy Yamaguchi, and Michelle Kwan. This year's event is in San Jose, California at the SAP Center. We talk with Bob Dunlop about what goes into organizing the national championships, how the event is more than just elite competition seen on television, working with destinations and venues over the years, including during the pandemic, best practices in the business, and what is the one event that he still wants to check off his sports bucket list. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Bob Dunlop, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. This year, the U.S. Figure Skating Nationals will be in San Jose. It is the third time that you've been in the city since 2012. What has made it popular recently with U.S. Figure Skating as a host for its, uh, one of its biggest events?
1: Well, I mean, I'll start with our, our kind of a sporting history in that Bay Area, and San Jose in particular. I mean, some of our, among our biggest named alumni uh, have called that home and have trained there. Um, as recent as Karen Chen, who is a member of our Olympic team in recent years, who's now um, taking at least a year off and at Cornell. But prior to that, of course, Brian Boitano, Christy Yamaguchi, Peggy Fleming, uh, all of that and our our amazing clubs in that area, in the Bay Area. Um, And Shark Sports and Entertainment, who's our local hosts at the SAP Center and uh, a tremendous facility called Shark's Ice, which is where our official practice will be. And this year, um, also a relatively newcomer to the championships, we do a high performance camp in relation. So for our younger athletes who are not competing, we actually host a camp. And so just their uh, willingness to work with us and their support of figure skating, both uh, you know every day of the year, but also for a major event, it really has brought us back in, uh, from 2012, 2018, our last Olympic year. And this event in 2023 was really scheduled to be in 2021 and of course we had to uh, uh cancel that we were look, put it in a bubble event environment in las vegas and we're back in 23 and happy to be there
0: for an event such as the national championships what type of timeline for arena build up and takedown do you have
1: yeah i mean in terms of the advanced planning it's it's non-stop right and from the time we award it there's this discussions but For, you know, the week of, so to speak, you know, we'll start uh, this year. We're actually going to start initial build out uh, a few days in advance. Um, So really, though, in earnest, it's a Saturday or I'm sorry, a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday build load in. We'll start practice on on a Monday. And then competition is really with our juniors start on the Tuesday of the week. And we finish on the following Sunday. So it's really a, a full seven, you know, seven days of practice competition, an additional day, day and a half, depending on the venue and their and their day-to-day customers. We've um, uh, we turned it around in, in a day, uh, but two days is ideal for load-in. So a nine-day commitment.
0: How important is the relationship between yourself as the event organizer in any destination and venue that you work with, especially when you have such a major event like this is the national championships? This is something you can't mess up.
1: Yeah, I I would say this. That is is critical, right? I think everyone in the sports industry knows how important it is from a, a personal relationship and a trust and an understanding of what the event is right and the understanding of kind of what our shared goals are in in hosting an event of this nature i think what we bring to the table is the knowledge of the sport side of things and our tv partner in nbc and how to make the event work i think where we really do want to have that discussion and reliance on our local partners is uh, all the other really important things whether it be special events and the highest of the list really is how do we uh, market and brand this event in your community? How do we get people to be excited about coming out and coming to the venue and buying tickets? Because at the end of the day, it is an, uh, it is a major sporting event uh, in our world and really on the sporting calendar. And we want people to see it. And there's also the opportunity for a lasting legacy out of an event well done of, hey, I went and I maybe saw a lead athlete skate. And for the first time I saw it in person, And maybe that generates some additional interest of how do I get, you know, involved in the sport uh, or my children involved in the sport. And we... That's another layer um, that we we leverage with our community partners in hosting these events.
0: You mentioned uh, the relationship you have with NBC. And I know the viewing, the TV viewing public sees the senior championships. They're very well promoted. They're very well publicized. They're very attractive for, uh, for Olympic followers. But you mentioned also an event like this. You have more than just the senior championships. You have junior competition. You mentioned the high performance camps and things that you have. How important is making those ancillary events so to speak for those skaters every bit the quality experience as it would be for senior competitors who you will see on NBC and all of its various platforms.
1: You know, and thank you for asking that question because it's vital to our development pipeline. Our junior athletes, and in years past, even you know, there's a continued discussion about even maybe reinserting our novice level athletes back into the championship simply because some things have changed on the international age group classifications. So it is a pipeline, right? An athlete, you know, provides that that big time experience and really gives them that, you know, ability to see maybe be in a venue where a TV setup is so that in the years to come, as they uh, evolve from a novice or a junior athlete into a senior level athlete and start to be considered for world teams or Olympic teams, that uh, hopefully is not a surprise to them. So The investment that we make is across multi departments, whether the events department or high performance department, uh, our membership departments. Those are all conspiring in our marketing and communications. Of course, we all work together to provide that athlete experience as very best we can. Um, Our camp athletes, for instance, will be in San Jose essentially Sunday through Wednesday the, when that camp ends, we have a dedicated seating area in the venue for them to come and and watch as part of their accredited ability. Again, the idea is hopefully um, setting, you know, setting opportunities in the tone for years to come of what they can expect as athletes. And also for the parents of a young athlete, it's really important to see. Hey, what does this sport look like at every ladder of every step of the ladder, so to speak? And uh, we've had very good feedback, and I certainly can't take the credit for it. Uh, it's a it's a team effort, and really, those younger level athlete experiences are. It's not just the week of the championships either. It's over the course of the year. There's other camp opportunities. Uh, We've actually retooled our qualifying competition structure to more benefit, I think, today's athlete and the way they train uh, through the course of the year.
0: People who know about figure skating, for the most part, they know about the men's and women's singles. They know the pairs, the ice dancing. Over the time that you've been involved with U.S. figure skating for more than two decades now, how popular have you seen synchronized discipline become over the years and become part of the the landscape? I
1: smile because you brought up synchro. Um, It's a great great, great discipline within the overall structure of figure skating. And and it's really evolved. I mean, a good example is um, US figure skating actually hosted the first ever world synchronized skating championships uh, in Minneapolis, actually at the University of Minnesota's facility. And it's really just from that time point, and not only domestically at our US championships, the sport as a whole has grown, it's grown as a uh, commitment within our office from a staffing up perspective to dedicate, you know, unique resources to help support on ice, off ice, coaching development, international involvement of our teams. And this year, for instance, uh, we're actually hosting the World Synchro Championships in Lake Placid, um, end of March, March 31st and April 1st. We expect that event to be sold out uh, and tickets just went on sale. So very... A lot of enthusiasm in synchronized skating as well, and being a team discipline, just well-organized. And from a development standpoint, uh, I can't even tell you, uh, and I'm not the synchro expert per se, but the, the quality and the growth and the development of our teams nationwide is really a testimony to all the work that our synchro experts and our synchro committees do in this sport.
0: You mentioned how you're in San Jose this year and you were planning to be there in 21 before the pandemic, you had to go to a bubble setup. You mentioned the pandemic. How has U.S. Figure Skating's working relationship changed with host cities and venues since the pandemic, if at all? And is there anything from your pandemic protocols at competitions the past couple of years that you see continuing this year and years into the future?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it goes back to the earlier question about those personal relationships or developing relationships with your host community whether that be an arena sports commission or cvb or any combination of the three that to us was really critical during the COVID experience because it's not only figure skating but every sport had to deal with the the day-to-day are we able to do this uh you know some of these events for us are very important uh certainly not only for the athlete experience and the ability to compete but also from a revenue producing right if, if it's a TV property in, in some of these cases that's very vital to produce a product so it was really important to have really transparent and open and honest dialogue about you know how how did we see this unfolding um last year in Nashville for instance we had basically to redevelop the whole event plan in as little as two three weeks um, due to Omicron uh, we were able to do the event it wasn't the event that we envisioned but everybody was rowing in the same direction, uh, was supportive of each, uh, you know, the arena, our partners locally and us, and that flexibility, I think is pr- critical to what we take we've taken is knowing that we can probably accomplish anything as long as we're, uh, having those open and honest discussions where there's that, you know, the old adage where there's a will, there's a way I think was never more evident in, in the last few years. A few things, obviously, we're out of COVID in terms of health protocols, at least for us right now, um, and I think for most parts. Um, but I do think there's things that remain, you know, some of the field of play meetings that we would have done in person. We have evolved into Zoom calls because we feel if it's an athlete draw or, you know, a, a meeting that we need to get a no before you go, for instance, uh, we still do those uh, that we started in COVID because we feel it's a better way to communicate than maybe we did in the past, where we just push out an email and expect people to read. So now we're doing a lot more of uh, interactive, and which I think has been hugely beneficial, you know, and doing as a result of COVID, I think everyone is also a little more aware that they do need to pay attention to the details that go into that because uh, you know as we learned anything can change
0: you've been doing this for over two decades now over your time at us figure skating whether because the proto because of the pandemic or not how has the event bidding landscape changed? whether in terms of incentives destination relationships that you keep or anything else into that goes into deciding where to place events whether it be a regional championship all the way to the national championships
1: yeah i think on a positive side we've seen really sustained interest in our sport which we really thank people for being interested and in, and in working um i i really see and it's not only just in my world but through um you know the various sports trade shows over the course of the year of course and the road shows that your company puts together, I think there's a better understanding of maybe what these events look and feel like, as opposed to just a focus on maybe how many room nights can this event bring? Uh, I think there's a genuine interest in how does this event fit uh, a community's sports resume, if you will? Um, Are you, you know, why are you interested in it? How is this play, whether you're bidding on NCAA events as well, other NGB events, whether it be an NHL, NBA, all-star games. I just think there's a uh, a more professionalized professionalized environment than um, maybe it was you know 20 years ago, right? Where it was a little more focused on the heads and beds mindset, and, and that's just been an evolution, uh, a continue evolution, which I think is really a good a great thing. And we see that in the ongoing you know education programs that sports industry as a whole are providing uh, both us as event uh, rights owners and uh, destinations looking to bring these events in.
0: How much within the winter sports or just the overall U.S. Olympic sports community, do you share best practices and tips about event organization and protocols that would be useful, but also about destinations and venues that you've worked with on a, uh, to successfully?
1: Some of it is uh, probably, you know, just, again, a lot of the, the, the events that we travel to collectively year over year there's always those networking sessions, which I think are critical. Um, You bump into like-minded sports and, you know, particularly for our case, you know, we operate in arenas uh, of various sizes. So, you know, talking to to other sports that operate in arenas, because there's a lot of comparisons there. Um, The most notable one for years is USA Gymnastics and US Figure Skating for a lot of times, including San Jose, Uh, We go to the same venues. And so, you know, some of those relationships and the sharing of knowledge, you know, how did you market your event or what did you learn from this venue? So some of that happens um, unofficially. And then there's more of a kind of a a shared knowledge platform uh, within the Olympic sports. um, That's kind of a a not mandatory. It's a drop in. But I do think it benefits folks from understanding, you know, we all deal with the same challenges. Um, and so whether it's figure skating or, you know, I don't know, pick a sport, it's it the reality of transportation and arrivals, departures, housing and operation ma- uh, manuals. Uh, those are all things that um, come to the forefront. And uh, I think it's we're all I've never met a person in the sports industry that's not willing to share, you know, and I think that's a great greatest thing about this sports industry that we have is there, we're all working in together to to make our products better In the end of the day.
0: Talking about sites, I know there's no site officially announced yet for the 2024 National Championships. But just using that as an example, how long a process does it take in evaluating put- bidders? before going on site visits and eventually deciding on a host.
1: Yeah. So this year's a little love. The positive news is we will be announcing 2024 uh, at the championships this year. So stay tuned. And so uh I think Friday, January 27th, we will be announcing that. So stay tuned. And I will say that just to kind of tease it a little bit, it's it will be a destination that has long been on our sites on both sides of the equation and we're very excited about. Uh, what 2024 is going to bring uh, for the U.S. Championships. But to answer your question, it is, um, in a, I would say, in a normal environment, it's a two-year in advance uh, at the least. This last year was a little interesting because, um, and we've not awarded 25 or 26 yet, we're going to go out to bid officially with that. Um, we did actually put out 24 and 25, but 25 we kind of pulled back on because we were concurrently bidding on the ISU World Figure Skating Championships in 2025, which subsequently was awarded to Boston TD Garden. Uh, That was announced in October. And so now we uh, are trying to find a host for 25 that would complement having a world in our nation, which is always a draw for fans. So we want to make sure that we place that correctly. And then 2026 is our next Olympic year. So this summer is an example of 23 We're getting back on that two to three year window. Three years is important, not from a ticket selling perspective necessarily, but from, you know, getting a destination before others grab it. You know, we want to make sure that we are in the marketplace and having those conversations so that uh, communities know that it's an opportunity to look at and to potentially bid on.
0: You've organized hundreds of events yourself. You've evaluated hundreds of venues and destinations as a sports fan. Is there one event or venue that you haven't been to yet that you still want to see in person?
1: I grew up in the North and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big hockey, more college hockey than pro hockey. Uh, I'd love to end up at the, at the frozen four, for instance. And I've had many uh, attempts. I just think it's a great event. You know, college hockey is one of those sports that's maybe a little off the radar for a lot of people, maybe a little more regional focused, but I, it's an outstanding event. It's really grown over the years. Division one hockey is as an example. and it's. An ice sport, right? So I've got to be in that world, right? I, I've grown <laughs> up in ice rinks. I've been in uh, in the ice business for a long time. That one is probably not on most people's tip of the tongue. Uh, most probably Super Bowls and Olympics, which I've been to. But for me, I think it's just kind of one of those unique ones. You know, you'll so I, I know again I'm I'm off the radar on that one, but that one would be uh, a special one for me.
0: Oh, well, Bob, hope you're able to get to that in a at some point uh, in, in in around all of the site visits and national championships and everything that you've got going out at U.S. Figure Skating. And thank you very much for your time and thanks for joining us today on the Sports Travel Podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Matt, and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you down the
0: road. This is another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram, and at sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Trout for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.